Hey, it's Joel here, host of the Rev Thinking Podcast. I am here with a special announcement that I have a new podcast. It's called The Fabulist, stories behind the world's most interesting studios and production companies. Just go to pod.link slash thefabulist and have a listen. This is a story about storytellers, creators, filmmakers, and fable finders. Those intrepid souls who launched a business only to wake up one day and discover they had built an empire. Strategic creatives like Joe and Mikan. When you're an entrepreneur and you're in this business, the forces around you are fucking with everything you're trying to build. Real and raw founders like Marcel. To just like show your pitches to your competitor and say, bro, you kicked my ass, teach me here, please. Yes. I need to learn. <laughs> and and how, did they, how did they respond? They show me their pitches. Whoa. And makers like Aaron, who I asked, what does it take to run a great creative business? Everything's a hustle. It's not being built on the back of a, you know, a mountain that was already there. One thing is clear, these creatives dismissed the safer path and ignored convention. What a company is today is completely different from what it was when we started it. I'm Joel Pilger, and this is my new podcast, The Fabulist, brought to you by Coop Studios and Arbo Radico. I've made a list, and I'm traveling the world to capture the stories of these fabulous people behind the world's most interesting studios and production companies. Listen for a deep dive with names like Sibling Rivalry, State Design, Swarovski, and many more to come. To hear these stories and their legacies, I'll see you there. Great motion design can do so much more than just look beautiful. I mean, think about it for a second. What is motion design but an expression of human thought and ideas. But it's also a representation of humanity. But the question is who and what and how is it reflecting? What is it representing? Well, today I'm talking with founders, Ricardo Roberts and Hung Lee at BN. Now this motion design studio using research and a very modern ethic they celebrate diversity and they challenge prejudices, not only on screen, but behind the screen, if you will, in this thing they call inclusive motion design. Now, what is the difference that it makes? How can you apply it yourself? How can you be part of it? Well, listen to this conversation and find out. For someone that doesn't know BN, what's the origin story? Like, did you guys start this business together? And how long has it been now? Yeah, yeah. So we did start together. Um, and it's been five years. It's been five years in October. So basically, the origin story is uh, Hung and I met online on a, a forum called MoGraph.net. Um, and this was, I don't know, it was like 12 or 13 years ago, maybe. And... Um, I was looking, I was a partner at a live action production company and I was looking for a motion designer to add some graphics to our reel. So I was a motion designer at that time. 
However, I wasn't a very good one. <laughs> so I wanted to find someone <laughs> really, really good. And so I found home. We connected on that one project. Um, and then we just like, as a company, we brought him in on, I don't know, maybe dozens of projects. We, we worked together and really, um, liked each other and the work and the results. Everything was just like really amazing. And so I kind of got tired of live action. I had been at this, uh, one company for like 19 years and I was just getting, I wanted something fresh. I wanted something new. And, um, I kind of saw this opportunity, this white space in the market, so so to speak, where there was really no one targeting, um, kind of, or, or focused on inclusive motion design, and that just that that mind space or mindset did not exist back then, five years ago, um, right in the in the motion and design space. So I sold all my shares and asked Kong if he wanted to partner up and create something. Um, you know, new and different and based on our lived experiences and our backgrounds. And he said, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> um, you had no idea what you were signing up for, did you? <laughs> <laughs> when Ricardo and I met online, we uh, we had a great working relationship. And I think that the key here is we did not just engage professionally, but we also engaged, you know, as friends over time. Uh, we met up. We I actually stayed at his house at one point when we uh, came down for a party. So I think we that relationship was key for me when we talked about this business. Like, okay, the chemistry is there. Um, it wasn't just like, all right, you know, one side of the business, I know the other. Let's just take a chance and see what would work. So I think that was the key for us getting together and decided to do this. So this is where my curiosity is going because. Again, I know you guys fairly well, and I know the studio where it is now. But when you think back to when you started, was there a clear strategy of like, here's what we're going to go do? Or was it, we're going to do motion design because that's what we do, and but we're just going to, whatever, figure it out? Joel, I say from day one, there was a very, very clear strategy. Because Hung and I, are real, we're realists, right? We looked at ourselves and our work and we thought okay what can we do to be different like how can we differentiate how can we compete against giant ant and blind and you know all these other odd films all these amazing studios and we just kind of thought well i don't know that we can but what we can do is build a business around diversity and inclusion and inclusive design so a lot of it like i've studied branding marketing that's kind of what I've done my entire career. Um, but your uh, podcast and your content, Joel, is like what really made it succinct for me. It's like, we have to build a business based on a strong positioning. We can't say, oh, we have the best customer service or we have a tight-knit group of uh, creatives who love each other. Like, that's bullshit and everyone's saying it. So I had to really dig deep to figure out how we could be different and I think Hung and I both struggled with it. It was like, do we want to base a business based on this? Like, isn't it, shouldn't our business be, you know, built around our creative merit and our ability to do work? Like, so we struggled for a long time and we probably, Hung and I probably got into some like discussions, heated discussions about, you know, how should we position ourselves? But 
eventually we just both realized like really that's something that we're both passionate about. And, you know, we, that was inherent to who we are as people. Um, and so from day one, it's always been that kind of strong position. See, that's wild think, to me. Cause yeah, hung, I'm curious, did that feel, uh, did it feel super risky at that moment? It, super early on to be like, we're going in with this very narrow, unique point of view. Yeah, totally. And I would say that it did not come to us overnight. You know, we, we started the business, uh, just like everybody else. You know, you wanted to do the best work and compete to the highest level. I think we all thought like that to begin with. And, um, you know, we, over time, after several discussions, we know that we can create amazing work, but to achieve perfection, you know, at the highest level was not the, the right path because, uh, we, I think at the end of the whole journey of discovery and trying to find, define our position clearly, we came back to our, I guess, our original thinking, like built on our passion and what we believed in versus what we can do or can achieve, um, you know, like professionally. Yeah, I was just having this thought, and maybe that maybe I should ask this question later, but because I don't want to forget it, I'm going to ask it now. When when you guys step back and think about the type of business you're running right now, the question that was in my brain was, okay, wait a minute, are you a creative studio? Let's see, how am I going to ask this? Right, do you guys think of yourselves as a creative studio that focuses on doing this inclusive motion design thing? Or are you an inclusive creative firm that happens to do motion design? Man, that's a great question, Joel. Hung, you go, man. You look, you have an answer. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think that from the beginning, what we thought of, of ourselves to do, was that this is the way, Not this should not be the unique way to do business. This should be the way all studios should operate. But because all studios are not operating this way, we shall be the one to do it. But I would say that we were not trying to carve out those un super unique space for ourselves, but more like questioning whether the approach that we're taking should be just unique to one studio or should it be universal? Which is a su super interesting question, right? Because kind of what I hear you saying is we didn't pursue uniqueness for the sake of uniqueness. You said, we're going to launch a studio. Let's just go in and double down on what we truly believe is just how it ought to be. And like, let's be ourselves. Let's be completely real and authentic. And what are we passionate about? And get really clear about that and go. And it happens to be this thing that we're going to talk about, right? Of inclusive motion design. Am I, am I totally is what I'm saying accurate? <laughs> For sure, I would put it this way. It's not about creating a new special category within motion design. It's about saying that this is, should be the universal way of how most studios, or hopefully all studios, will practice as, you know, some degrees. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add on to that. I, I believe that is is 100% true, but when we settled on that, it was a it was very much a differentiator for our studio. It was very much a way for us to talk about ourselves in, in our infancy of like, this is how we are different. And this is 
this is what we do and why we do it. And I think it just was a natural fit because Hung and I both have a commitment to giving back, a commitment to being social activists. And this was a way that it, it kind of hit on all cylinders, right? Like I've always felt like businesses and business owners should have some type of deeper meaning. Like it's not about just having a business and creating profit um, and doing good work. Um, it's always had a deeper meaning for me. And this hit on all cylinders. So it, it was something inherent to us. It is something that we believe all businesses should be doing. Um, but I think that thinking has sort of evolved over the years, um, primarily by seeing how receptive our clients have been to it. Um, which has been like amazing because it didn't start out that way, Joel. <laughs> like when we, <laughs> we first started for various reasons, um, we questioned ourselves quite a bit, quite a few times, you know, like, did we make the right choice? Is inclusive motion design something that the people want? Like our clients, can we build a business on this? And the answer has been a resounding yes. Um, and so now we're, we're kind of in what I would call MOD. Which is what we call it for short. We're we're sort of building NMOD 2.0 right now, so it's it's constantly evolving. Mm. Well, I'm thinking about in the early days. If I was in your shoes, I would imagine you are looking at all these other shops out there that are doing all this beautiful and fabulous work, and they all speak in that. Well, let's just say most of them speak in that word salad of mm -hmm. great design and super collaborative and award-winning, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then here you guys are carving out this space with this thing called inclusive motion design. And it had to feel a little bit like, man, um, is this smart? Like, is everybody else mm -hmm. does it that way? And here we are doing it this way. But for a minute, I'm guessing there was that sort of, what are we doing? But then it started to get some traction because once people saw what it was and understood it, they said, Oh, that actually is a really interesting solution to a big problem. Oh, absolutely. I would say we struggled for a long time and mm -hmm. questioning ourselves whether our positioning from a business standpoint, I think on a moral and you know, conceptual standpoint, we pretty much know what we wanted and pursued that. But on, from the business side, um, it did not show much traction for a very long time because, uh, society and enterprises did not catch up to the level of thinking that we had, you know, until certain events happened, you know, like what happened with George Floyd and, you know, the, the ripple effect of that made more people realize what uh, really important uh, to us all. Man. So, okay. So let's unpack it. So when you guys talk about inclusive motion design, can you give me pretend like I've never heard this thing in my life. What's the big idea behind this? So in a nutshell, inclusive motion design is a methodology that champions inclusion behind the scenes to create more accessible content on screen. So it does both things and they cannot live without the other. Basically is what we are trying to say. Okay. So, what I heard there was a twofold thing because part of me is saying, Oh, so you guys are 
really doubling down on making sure that behind the scenes, the creators, the points of views that are represented in the making have an inclusive characteristic. But I also heard something about, but on the call it client side or externally facing the actual work itself, there's also that point of view reflected. Is it both, is it both sides of this thing? Is it, it's not just that, oh, BN is, we're inclusive when we're hiring. It's like we're inclusive in how we design. Yeah, I'd say it's both. Um, and I would say it, it all started with, it, it was kind of inspired by some of the movement that was taking place in live action. Like you saw a call for more diverse actors, uh, more diversity on screen. That also trickled over into the advertising world with, you know, 30 second spots, et cetera. Um, and it was starting to happen, um, behind the scenes as well. Like, you know, um, I think free to bid started maybe four or five years ago. Um, things like that, just like saying, Hey, like we need to give these different people opportunities as well. It shouldn't be just the same old, same old directors who have always, you know, helmed these films or these commercials. Um, and so we kind of took that and were inspired by it. And we said, well, there's no one really focused on ensuring relatability uh, for animated 2D characters, right? Like it, there was that movement. It was the uh, Facebook Alegria movement, um, which was, which was awesome at the time, but we felt like, Hey, it lacked instead of, instead of being specific and diverse, it was broad and agnostic. So we felt like, Hey, like that's not right. That's, that's not the way that we would approach it. And so that was sort of a, a jumping off point for us is like, this is happening in live action. So we want to see that happen, you know, in the motion design industry. And then we also started thinking about, well, we can't, we can't create that type of content on screen without a diverse and inclusive team behind the scenes. So it became really both. And we just realized that, Hey, in order to, to do this properly, it has to, it has to really hit on both cylinders. So those are the two key tenets of MOD. So I'm, I heard you say something back there referencing, I think you said it was a Facebook campaign or initiative or something. <clears throat> But it sounded like the strategy that was being employed was almost a let's almost make everything, uh, what androgynous or you use the word agnostic, right? That, that, so that, that can you tell me more about that? That approach was what just kind of make everybody look a certain way. So you can't really tell what's what. And was that a lacking approach that didn't, that didn't didn't seem to work in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of based on the corporate Memphis style, which is kind of like, everyone's like super happy and everyone looks sort of the same. And, um, you know, there were, I think different skin tones, um, but they were abstract. So there was like blue and purple, et cetera. Um, and I think all of that is based sort of on this idea of the average, the average person, the mainstream, et cetera. Um, and we just, we felt like average or just catering towards the mainstream is a little old fashioned and we need to progress from that. And we need to reflect people as they actually truly look, not only just their skin tone, but also their facial features. And I'll let Hung get into more of that, but, but yes, correct. 
Yeah, I'd, yeah love, no. I'd love to hear you expand on that more, Hung, and even help me understand why. Like, help us understand why. I mean, we all kind of know now that this is important, but get back to the thinking behind it originally well, in the first place. Why was it even important? Yeah, I think it goes back to this uh, thinking that we all have. And we've noticed this in the way the clients would approach us for projects as well. For some reason, when clients look at illustration and motion design, they don't associate that with real people. You know, not like live action. When you look, when you watch live action, like, oh yeah, I want to make sure I cast that person correctly because that's a real person. And then I think when the clients switch their mindset, look at motion design work, it's like, that's cartoon. We can do whatever we want with cartoon, right? You know, I think that's the general mindset at the time. And of course, fueled by the tech boom. Tech companies and their technologies rely greatly on scalability. The more things easy to scale and produce, mass produced, then the faster they can crank out content. And I think those two things kind of, kind of make way for this whole thinking that if you are an illustrator, designer, or a creative, you should create something that fits into the client thinking versus what we as people know and love as like, you know, would be considered an authentic experience. So close to authentic as possible. Yeah. So I, I believe that's the kind of the origin of that. Yeah. And I think another reason why, Joe, is because people, minorities in this space, they don't they don't really see themselves on screen, right? That was the problem with live action, right? And and that goes back to a, a marketing saw, right? So when you market to people, it's been proven many, many times throughout history and uh, many studies that people associate themselves and they want to buy from brands who represent them and who visually represent them. So that was happening um, in advertising. And when we saw what happened or what was happening in motion design, we felt like, you know, we, we, you can't be so broad, you know, you have to be very specific and you have to show people of color, uh, people with disabilities, people, um, you know, who are very, very diverse, not just in, you know, their ethnicity, but also things like age, et cetera. Like you have to show them on screen for people to really be able to connect specifically with that. So that was also a reason we felt like, Hey, you know, we can make a change. We can do something different, but also over time that has evolved. The reason why is because we want to bring more opportunity to diverse, uh, kids and students who have not thought about getting into motion design. So it's become this, there's, there's the business reasoning, there's the marketing advertising reason. But there's also the social impact reason. And that's what is driving Hung and I more than anything these days is because we're passionate about giving back to the community, about giving people opportunity, about, you know, making a difference in our industry and sort of, you know, in society at large on a very small scale. But, you know, it's, it's our ability to contribute is what fuels that drive a little bit. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, this term that 
someone on my team researched that I thought was pretty interesting, which is called tokenism. Did you guys see this, this question here? Um, and I think it came from a Forbes article. It talked about this situation where you might receive suggestions, right? To hire a certain type of person. And I'm thinking how easily it might be if I'm just running a studio and my client comes to me, how do I, how do I differentiate between the brand that's basically saying, Hey, we want to look diverse because mm-hmm. it's good public relations, right? As opposed to, I actually want to speak and connect and like what you argued there a minute ago, uh, both of you. Is, does your method in a way help avoid that tokenism? Yeah, for sure. We have done a few workshops with uh, different companies and that question came up for me as well. Like, how do you, how do you know that you are not doing this for tokenism? The question was very direct. Well, I think, uh, let's, let's define what it is, right? Tokenism is when you hire one person to satisfy the checkbox. You check that off to say, let's put this person forefront in order to, for, for our public image or PR to look good, right? Let's kind of define it that way. And my question back to the person who asked that question was, would it be tokenism if our entire team is a bunch of tokens? Is it still token if we, the our whole team is token, <laughs> of tokens? <laughs> you right. know, we know what the problem is. And instead of shying away from it, we just choose to attack it heads on. You know, what if you make tokenism a positive thing by repeating it over and over at scale? So it would stop being that thing anymore, right? So I think there's certain terms that we start to associate with people and kind of put them into boxes. Like, what if you take them out of the box and make it an, a social impact thing? Why does tokenism exist in the first place? Because there is a lack of diverse talent. If I, and if I heard you right, you were even saying, Hung, that you were like referencing your team. And you were saying, well, if everybody on, on our team was a token, again, I'm going to use the word type for lack of a better word, but a token type of person, token, token, token. And it's like, if everyone's a token, then no one's a token. Is that, is that almost uh, right? a thought? Right. I mean, that's our ultimate goal is basically you make it not a thing anymore. So what does this method look like in, in practice? Because, you know, say I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a Coca-Cola or I'm an Amazon or whatever, right? A target. And I come to you and I say, Hey, here's this product or this thing that I want to launch this message. I need to communicate. Take me through the basic steps of how this methodology works. I'm super curious. We mentioned two parts of emoji on screen content to be more accessible and inclusive. I think safely to say that most motion design studios are very progressive and they do make an effort to make that part happen. I think that what we try to do is that behind the scenes, we would try to be as inclusive as possible to bring more people into the process and changing the production process, you know, the, while doing that. And that resonates really well with our clients because I think that they know that once you can do something and add more transparency to the behind the scenes process, that would uh, affect how the on screen content would look and feel. 
And I think for enterprise clients, they walk away knowing that they took part in something good to be part of a, a, a real social impact uh, project and not just trying to crank out another piece of content to be seen for three months. Yeah. You know, on that note too, it's just like, there's, there's so many multiple sides to this one coin. Right. And it's like from a business perspective, right. We, we know Joe, we know that businesses don't do shit unless it affects their bottom line. Right. That that's why they do all these things, right? There are people in enterprises who believe in these causes and who do want to make, you know, who want to change society. But ultimately, they're not going to make a decision unless there's a a business, you know, factor involved. And that factor is including more people in their marketing, advertising, comms um, increases the size of their addressable market, right? It's just as simple as that, right? You can just reach more people. And I think 20, 30 years ago, people were afraid to to market towards certain ethnic groups. Or if they did, they had a separate marketing department. Like, you know, you had like a, uh, a Hispanic marketing agency or an Asian, Asian marketing agency. And then the big giant agencies and the big budgets went to kind of so-called the mainstream audience, right? But the demographics in the United States have changed and they are changing. So we as marketers, motion designers, filmmakers, et cetera, we, we have to embrace that, that paradigm shift of what the population in the United States and the world is going to look like. So, so we feel like if, if we have a diverse set of artists, creators, et cetera, behind the scenes, they know that world. They have that lived experience. They can speak authentically and make sure that whatever is put on screen is authentic. And it's not, it doesn't, um, you know, extend to the tropes of tokenism or uh, extend stereotypes. We want to dispel stereotypes. We want to combat stereotypes. And so you can't do that without a, a, a very diverse team. And if you insert a token, it's not going to work because they're just kind of on the team just to be there. So it really starts at the leadership level. And that's why Hung and I, we try to bring on um, diverse talent and we try to mentor them and we try to, you know, create leaders. And that's very, very important to inclusive motion design and how it works. So it's it's that there's that business reasoning, there's the social active activism component, and there's all these things that are working together and kind of have a synergy right now that um, I haven't seen before. It's really exciting. Uh, to try to figure out. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if maybe there's even an anecdote or something that you might think of. I'm just imagining that if I was your client, you know, I need to do a a piece of content. I would be really nervous, but not prepared to admit my fears. Yeah. Right? Because I would be approaching you and being like, okay, let's go do this campaign. And then I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. Uh, it needs to speak to whatever kind of audience. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, does that mean I need to put in the token, right? Insert whatever phrase for that kind of person. And then I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like, I'm just a marketer. I'm trying to, right? Like, am I just stepping in it? I, I just don't know. And I would think, man, if I could work 
with a team like yours that has a method that not only produces that result, but it also has the people behind the scenes that represent the work being done. That's got to produce a lot of confidence. I'm thinking, like, as your client, I walk away thinking, whew, okay, <laughs> like, I just, you know, I worked with the experts and they figured that out. And I'm guessing you're probably going to school me along the way and be like, hey, Joel, this is, this is how you apply this method. So next time and next time and next time, this is the way to think through these kinds of problems. Is that, is that a common experience with your clients? Yeah, I would say it's, uh, it's that. And sometimes we, we were taught by our clients to think differently as well. Because mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the great thing about our positioning and the way that we approach our work is that we attract clients who think the same way or have the same passion and interest. So in a way, um, you know, they actually would teach us along the way about other things about diversity inclusion that we did not know about because obviously, Joe, we are a small studio. We don't have the R&D uh, budget to really dive deep into these, you know, they have like PhDs to study these kind of things. So we learn a lot from our own clients as well. So that's a great thing about it. Yeah, and I'll give you an anecdote um, on a project maybe four years ago, Joel. Um, we put forth some character development sketches, and the client kind of said, hey, can we make these even more diverse and inclusive? And we were like, wow, because at that time, we were, we were kind of introducing the concept of diversity and inclusion and inclusive motion design, and, and clients were, they, they were, they were like, okay, sure, sort of lukewarm. They didn't push back. They didn't visibly express any type of hesitation, but they didn't embrace it either. Um, and so when we had that project and we kind of went, I would say maybe we took baby steps to introduce MOD into this particular project, the client said, make it more diverse. And we were kind of blown away, like, holy shit, like, okay. Like that kind of a kind of stung because that's what we do. But the client, you know, was very real about it and encouraged us. And so I think from that point on, we knew like we had to go full in and really embrace everything about it and like not hold back at all. I was going to add on that. If you look at uh, our business model, then what we are trying to do is a bottom up approach, right? We produce content. And we try to make it a grassroots effort where we can recruit and train people in diversity and inclusion and make that effort from the bottom up. And then what we try to do is to find clients who can be at the top level, you know, and come down, meet us in the middle, who have the budget, who have the, the passion for the same uh, things we care about. And I think it only works when we can meet in the middle. You know, we, it would not work if you just find anybody, any client. Yeah. So this sure. is something I remember when I was working with you guys, um, behind the scenes and there was language being developed for the website and all that. And I remember having this, I don't know, dream, if you will, of, Hey, when someone reads this, in a way, this could be a really powerful way that they qualify themselves which I know is a, a bit of a salesy term, but it, let's just call it, if I'm a client 
And I come across your, your work, your message, the way that you guys talk about yourselves. I'm going to either say, Oh man, that is totally a fit for me because I also have that same value, right? I, I want to put forth that those kinds of values and qualities. Or I might just say, I am, hmm, I don't, I don't get it. Right. That's, yeah. that's not my jam. And I go somewhere else. And I, I, I would like to think that it's almost a way that clients qualify themselves and filter themselves out before you guys even start a conversation. Yeah. Has that been your experience? It is, Joel. And I'll say like, that's just branding one-on-one. It's like, you have to stand for something. You have to know who you are. You have to, we pretend like we're a lighthouse and we beam out our brand, right? You're attracted to it or you're not. Either is fine. But I would say, you know, in terms of advice for anyone starting a studio or just, you know, has been at it for a year or two, like really hone that, find that and broadcast your brand out as vividly and focused as you possibly can. And don't try to um, cater to everyone. You have to focus, you have to narrow. And you're exactly right. That's why clients come to us now because they want that. If you don't want that, you can go to anywhere else, you know, anyone else at other studios. And let's be honest. I think the term diversity, equity, and inclusion, those words are buzzwords. Right now, I mean, they, they almost lose all meanings if you don't, you know, when you hear that, it could be a turn off right away. You know, say, oh yeah, it's, it's one of those initiatives. I get it. You just want to do that. So I think the people who really care about this know that that is just the, the first gate to pass through, right? You, you have to accept that it is, it is important to really deep, uh, dive a little deeper and cut out all the bullshit and get the real work done. So there was a phrase that I caught that, and I don't know if this was from your website or where that said one of our principles is relatability, not authenticity. Am I quoting that correctly? For sure. Because I'm like, well, wait a minute. Everybody's talking about authenticity these days, right? So what's the story behind that statement? Uh, I would say that um, it applies to our character design specifically in the case that we, we put the context that we put it in. Um, because a lot of times when we, uh, create these, um, you know, illustrations and characters, they are really a, a, either they are created out of thin air, right? Like a persona, like a marketing persona you would do. So, you know, we think about it and we just said, you know, I think we all know that these are fake. These are not real people. There are no real people. There's no John walking around as a hipster. We just created John. So let's be real. We're going to make John relatable. But John is not authentic. Joe, you as a person are an authentic self, right? You're talking to me. I know you as a real person that way. But to claim authenticity is already um, a, a turnoff, right? Like you, you, you're setting the team on a wrong path by trying to pursue authenticity. Really, we are trying to re, uh, pursue relatability, something that other people, real people, can look at, a cartoon character, quote unquote, and say, you know what? I can see 
this character related to who I am or my friends. But that's not John I know next door. That's super interesting. So I'm curious to ask this question, since there's this method that you guys have developed. Does talking about it in any way make you nervous as a method that other people might adopt or slash steal? Right? Are there other studios out there that you don't want to adopt this? Or are you like, hey, no, this is a belief system. So if we all believe the same thing, let's just all go there together. This is a belief system, Joel, and we want everyone to adopt inclusive motion design. And that goes for studios, agencies, um, brands, and corporations. That's That was something that we uh, have wanted from day one. And we've written articles about why inclusive motion design matters and how to implement inclusive motion design in your day-to-day in your studio or agency or whatever. Like, cause, cause we, we truly want to disrupt the industry and we want to give people tools to do it. So it's sort of like an open source belief system. And it's also like, come on, we, we, we don't have all of the answers. We're just trying to figure this out. Um, we've, we've had the resources and the time to dive deeper into it maybe than others, but we want to, you know, compare notes and, um, and, and build this together with other studios, other agencies and creatives. Absolutely. From our experience doing this over the past five years, and we incrementally learn about it more and more, um, it's a lot easier said than done. I think that it takes a lot of work from different people and we learn from different sources, you know, from our collaborators and our clients, how to do it better every day. And it's very hard to practice. Uh, Joe, I would give you a simple scenario. Uh, if you just go out there and say you want to hire a Hispanic illustrator because, you know, you have to illustrate something to do with Peru. Um, that doesn't mean that Hispanic <laughs> Illustrator is going to draw something about Peru in a way that you think he or she would, or they would, to use more inclusive language here. And yeah. the reason is that a lot of us, all of us, no matter what ethnicity you are, we all train in the very westernized thinking of, about design, about illustration, about visual culture, period. So a Hispanic illustrator could draw it in the same same way that some way, say, from Northern Europe would, just because that Hispanic illustrator knows to do that is to make money or to be hired again. You know, so we constantly try to encourage people to think deeply about that, to look at their own perspective. And, uh, you know, we don't have to answer. We don't, we're not going to tell that person, like, you should draw it this way. But like, have you thought about yeah, you know the way the culture and society is looking at things. Yeah, Joe, and that's a great point. Is like we built BM because we feel like good design can bring people together, right? It's not about you know saying, "Hey, we you know we only hire um, uh, people from diverse backgrounds." Like we we hire white male illustrators all the time, and we learn from them. They learn from us, and a lot of times we've heard them express some hesitation. Like, I, you know, if you guys are asking me to draw, for for instance, you know, a black female, they're like, I, I don't know, what what if I make a mistake? We're, we're all learning 
none of us has all of the answers. Um, and we encourage you to do your research, to use eth- ethnography um, and anthropology and, and really dive deep. And that's another part of in, in Modi is the fact that we know we don't know all. Um, there's no way anyone can. So you have to do your research and it has to be based on that, those truths and those facts. Yeah. And bring a, on, bring on experts when mm-hmm. you don't, you, you're, you're in doubt. And we love that. Like anytime we bring on an expert, like we, we brought on a um, non-binary person to um, consult on a non-binary character for a really large, big project for a very big brand. And that person was so amazing, so um, open and so understanding and so helpful. Um, they, you know, they didn't judge us. We had an open conversation, you know, about the non-binary world, what that means to live in it, what that looks like. They, they taught us some stereotypes to avoid. And Hung and I were just like, we, we just soak it all up. Everyone in our team, because these are, these are, this is new knowledge to us. And I want to give a big shout out to David Jeffers, who is our um, disability advocate and consultant. He's on staff. He's also a sound designer who happens to be quadriplegic. So he has been monumental in helping us understand what what do quadriplegics deal with on a day to day basis. Um, you know what what are they thinking about? What are the obstacles? what you know what do they look and like how how does their their physical um world look to them and and it just helps us bring through their experiences on screen i mean a lot of what i'm hearing behind all of that is what i would call quite simply just curiosity mm. you know and that that it's not i guess this has been my experience i'm curious if you guys would say you've had a similar experience and that is finding the right answers isn't nearly as valuable as finding the right questions, <laughs> right? Because the answers are always changing, but the questions will always lead you to somewhere interesting, you know, to somewhere more valuable. Yeah. Curiosity and empathy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I think of our industry of the studios and the production companies, the ownership behind those companies, it's, a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to have to say it like it is. Like, I remember getting a call one time from a high level executive at Disney and he was like, Joel, I need some companies that represent, you know, have diverse ownership. What do you got? And I'm like, Oh, no problem, man. And I got, a, I got a list of 200 and 300, whatever. And I, I went to my list and I came back to him and I said, I think I have two for you. So that was like, less than 1%. That was just the ownership. Now, is the same problem there with non-owners, right? With just the teams and the talent and the creatives, are we are we are you guys struggling to find the voices, the talent that you need to solve these diversity and inclusion problems the world faces? Yeah, man, we're struggling big time because that talent does not exist, Joel. <laughs> so, you know, a lot, you hear a lot of industries say there is no uh, pipeline problem. There is no talent shortage. And that's just not true in 
I would say motion design. I would also say advertising. I would also say live action production. Um, and I don't know exactly why. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of probable reasons. I, so I don't want to harp on that, but just the, the cold hard truth that Hung and I have scoured the internet. We have talked to so many different people. Um, and we try to uncover diverse talent and it's just not there. And the, the people that we have found that have been, that are, uh, from diverse backgrounds, um, they are either booked solid for a year or two in advance, or they're working at a tech firm that can pay them ridiculous gobs of money. Um, yep. so, um, it's just, it, as an industry, that is just a problem. And I've seen a lot of, there are a lot of initiatives, which are great initiatives to try to change that, to try to like, uh, uh, train new talent, uh, create a talent pipeline, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is really the only way because historically not a lot of black and Latino, uh, kids are interested in design and going into this industry period or the creative industry. And I think that that has, it would be a whole podcast to discuss why that is, but historically, um, it's just been a male and a white male dominated industry. Um, and we think that sucks and we want to change it. We, we, we feel like, you know, we can, we can help young kids say, Hey, like I can actually make a living doing this fun, awesome, cool stuff. Um, and we can build that talent pipeline. But as I mentioned, like from a grassroots level, like it has to start with boots on the ground, very tactical, very hard, very time consuming tasks to start that sea change. Yeah. I'm thinking of like, maybe this, the first step again, right, is to raise the flag, right? Raise the issue and say, in a way, throw down the gauntlet to the schools, the universities, to the online teaching resources, whatever those things are, to say, hey, there are guys like Ricardo and these other studios that are dying for talent and diverse talent. I know that's a one, two, four, six year pipeline that we're talking about, but we still have to say it. Like, yeah. gotta start somewhere, right? Best time to plant a tree is a hundred years ago. Next best time is right now. A hundred percent, Joe. And that's one thing that I'm proud about. Like the hung and I, we come from different countries. We're both immigrants. We don't fit the, the I guess the exact mold of a business owner is that we're able to go out and, and talk to kids and talk to our staff and, and do things like this podcast and say like, Hey, look, like, look at us. Like we did it. You can do it too. And I think, you know how it is. It's like, you have to, you have to feel confident. You have to feel welcome in order to even think about getting into an industry or starting a business. Right. So it's just something that hung and I want to continue to do. It's just, kind of like be on that message of like, you know, we're immigrants and we're sort of outcasts in this industry, but we did it and we're seeing success and you can do it too. If you believe in yourself, like that's what it's really all about. It's like, you got to believe in yourself. You got to, 
you got to take these risks and either, you know, make a jump to, to study design animation or any creative endeavor or on the business side, you know, just start that business, go do it. You can do it. Don't be afraid. And I think that's what plagues a lot of young minority kids is that they, they have a, um, a self-defeating mentality sometimes like, ah, you know, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I fit into that industry. I don't know if I can. And so that's the message that I know you, you can do it and we're doing it. So, you know, it's, it's achievable. So here's a question, right? Because mm-hmm. waiting for a whole, call it graduating class of kids, right? To be attracted, to go through that school, to graduate and be ready to come show up and crush it at a studio like BN. That's a long time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. For, for, for someone that's saying, yeah, we can't wait that long. I'm curious, have you guys made an attempt to teach and train kids just yourselves? Just be like, mm-hmm. bring them in. You show some basic aptitudes. You have a certain type of personality, work ethic, what have you. There's raw material. We will train you. Have you had any, maybe oh, yeah. any attempts at that? Seen any success? Oh yeah. We, we have two initiatives in place. Um, what we call double the line and our apprenticeship campaign or our apprenticeship um, initiative. So double the line is an AICP initiative that very few people know about. I don't know why, but it is basically AICP, the commercial production um, association. Um, I don't know the damn name, Joel. I can't say it. Association of Independent Commercial Producers. Yes. (laughs) The AICP, the Association of Independent Commercial Producers, came up with this initiative maybe a couple years ago called Double the Line. And basically, it was designed for live action production companies, kind of almost like an inclusion rider in their bids to say, okay, um, Mm. we agree to hire a junior BIPOC, um, a person of color, um, to shadow a, let's say, a director or a gaffer or et cetera. And that line item will be additional and the, the agency, company, et cetera, agrees to pay that um, because this is really kind of like the only way to actually bring on diverse talent and show them the ropes and get them on these big jobs. And so we kind of took double the line and started, started applying it to our work. And Uh so, so basically um, if we have like a a cell animator uh, who's on a job for, you know, two weeks, like a, like a, a senior cell animator will also bring on a very, very junior cell animator and have that person work under the senior. Um, and really it's kind of like the senior guides them, mentors them. Um, it's not just like a job. So we've employed double the line on many projects since last year. And we've found so much great talent through that initiative. And the reason why that works so well, Joel, is because you know how it is in our industry. If you don't have a portfolio, you won't get hired. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so motion design studio, creative directors, producers, they're looking for a specific thing in someone's portfolio. 
if you're a junior and no one's giving you that opportunity, you don't have that thing. You won't have that thing. So we like to hire people, give them that thing, give them that amazing project for their portfolio, allow them to say, we work with Ben on this huge, huge job. And here's what I produce. Here was my role in it. So it's, it's a, it's sort of a boost for junior talent. Um, and that's been really successful. Um, and then the other initiative is, oh, go ahead, Joel. Can I ask real quick? Yeah. I'm curious on that initiative. Is that something that's also client facing? Like, is that a partnership type of a thing where you can say to your client, it is. Hey, this is a priority to us. I think it's a priority to you as well. Let's do this together. It and is. And then they have the experience of working and seeing and even putting that young talent to the test and seeing them involved in the process and all that. It is. It is very much a partnership. And we always talk about it early on in the project. And in fact, we bring on those junior uh, creatives onto conference calls, Zoom calls with clients. So the Zoom is not just about, you know, the senior creative directors, me, Hung, you know, the ACD. There's also junior faces on that call. And clients absolutely love it. So it's, it's a sim- symbiotic relationship, right? Clients are like, oh, wow, like I'm putting my money into this project, into this company. And this company is also, um, you know, sort of putting their money where their mouth is by hiring these junior designers and giving them opportunity. So it's created this, this nice symbiotic loop for us um, with the huge added benefit that it could over time change the industry. Yeah. All right. And what's, what's the uh, second initiative that I uh, interrupted you? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, so the second one is our apprenticeship program. So we just launched it today, actually, Joel. So no way. It, yeah. It's like, it's, an in-depth, uh, 10 week apprenticeship program. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, instead of doing an internship where you just bring someone on and they're kind of there, they're kind of doing social media for you. They're kind of maybe working on a project, probably not just doing a bunch of sort of kind of grunt work, just the same old, same old. We wanted to like completely upend that mentality and create a true apprenticeship program. Um, and so, it's not only about those 10 weeks at the studio. We're also giving that apprentice a six month window after the apprenticeship concludes where they'll have regular check-ins with uh, producers and creatives on our team. And so it's not just an in and out and, Oh, we'll recommend you to, you know, X, Y, Z. It's, you're going to learn a lot and we're going to have, we have a lot of training materials that we've developed for people. And they're not only about design, animation, and creativity. They're about business, Joel. So Mm -hmm. it's about like, like if you're fresh out of school, how do you structure an invoice? What does that look like? When do you send it? What does 30 days net mean? So it's the apprenticeship is designed as sort of an in-depth, almost crash course in working at a studio. Uh, How do we pitch um, what are best practices? And Hung, who is our process master, he has all of that stuff in Milanote. So it's basically like, again, like this idea of like, we don't want to hold this knowledge close to us. We, we want to get it out there. And, you know, it's all about 
documenting our processes and training people and, and, and giving them that real world experience. Like, how do you actually talk to a client? How do you pitch something? It's not just about, can you, you know, do this design or, or create this character? So our apprenticeship is, is very, very in depth. And we're not only targeting places like Art Center, where there are, you know, the top level talent, we're also we're having conversations with community colleges, like Santa Monica Community College, for one. Um, sure. Because we want to make sure that, like, we're not only interacting with people who have the means to go to one of those top tier schools, right? What about people in high school? What about people uh, that just go to community colleges? My dad, he he was a professor at a community college. I went to a community college for some classes. Um, you know, and there's talent there as well. Uh, it just may not be realized talent. So we want to kind of make sure that we're, you know, being inclusive of anyone who can potentially be, you know, a force in this industry. So when I hear about that apprenticeship program, it almost makes me a little bit nervous because I go back to my days of running a studio and I think, man, that's a big commitment. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. And we're, yeah. we're constantly like, Oh shit. What, what, how, how can we deliver on this and how much time is this going to take? And there's that balance, but we're really truly committed to making a change and giving people opportunity. It is scary. A lot of what we do, Joel, is very, very scary. Um, but ultimately we, we think it'll work out. Well, I'm, I'm having this thought and it's, and I, and I promise this is not an opportunistic thought, so don't let anyone take it this way. But I'm having this thought called, I can imagine some kids that might be in a position where they're about to lay down a lot of money to go to that school, even if it's a you know community college or a major university or whatever. And I'm thinking of, wouldn't it be cool if there were some studios that were like, look, we'll take those resources and train you and actually give you a career in these early days, right? It's something that you're investing in, but we're going to gradually, as you become productive, put you on projects. And I don't know if there's any, if there, that's the worst idea in the world, but I just can't help but think of like, how do we quickly get more talent and more diversity into the pipeline? I don't know. Maybe that spurs a thought for somebody out there listening or, or for you. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's a great idea, Joel, and I think it's going to require multiple points of attack, multiple fronts where we as an industry are figuring this out together. And that's the thing, man. It's like, I feel like live action, commercial production, um, you know, movie production, they are ahead of us, you know, as motion design industry is concerned. Um, and, you know, we, we need to learn from them and we've, been successful in kind of applying some of their principles. There's a lot of um, organizations, there's one here, and I think they're based in Hollywood, where they take people uh, in the live action world and they treat it almost like a trade school, right? Like they have trade schools, you can go to school to be, um, you know, uh, an electrician, a plumber, etc. But there is no trade school to learn the skills to be, you know, a gaffer, uh, audio tech, etc. And they've kind of, they started doing that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, 
I, I don't have an answer to it, but I will say that the students that we've encountered have been incredibly diverse. Mm. Right. So that, that has been a very, uh, surprising and I think, you know, wonderful thing to see. Like there is a new generation of talent that's coming up that is extremely diverse. Um, I would say of the students that we've interacted with, um, the majority have been female, mm, which you that's know, cool. 20 years ago when I got into this business, there were, you know, very few, uh, I, I went to like full sale university in 1998, uh, to study, you know, 2d and 3d animation. And I think there was like one woman in our entire class. <laughs> so yep. it's ridiculous, you know? So, yep. <laughs> well, that's exciting. I mean, congrats on launching that program. Um, I can't wait to hear how it goes and what the results are. Um, it's just cool. I think to, Think of what you guys are doing in a way. I was going to say behind the camera, in front of the camera, but of course, uh, in motion design, I don't know what we call it, right? Behind the screen, in front of the screen, something like that. <laughs> yeah, ba yeah, basically, like on screen and behind the scenes is kind of what we yeah. we've coined it. But yeah, for sure. Well, what um, do you have an encouragement for anyone that's listening that is saying, "Wow, that's really cool. I want to get connected or get involved or I don't know, support you or spread the word or what would, what would you, uh, where would you point people? I would say if we're looking at this in terms of an industry, I would love to see more talent repositories for diverse talent, right? So more places that me and PJ and Marcel and, you know, Ryan from Buck, where we can all go together and find vetted talent and give them opportunities. Like that, that would be my number one ask for anyone listening. Um, there are a couple of uh, spreadsheets out there, but there's not enough. And I know that there are really great um, diverse talents out there on a global scale but it's tough to find them. So yep. like let's, let's as an industry come together and, and help others uh, get a little shine and, um, and, and have some opportunities. So for someone that wants to, uh, might be listening to this podcast and just be saying, man, I dig what, you know, Ricardo and hung and the whole studio is about, would you point them to your website? Yeah. Yeah. I would say if you want to learn more, um, then please go to, uh, this is Um, and we also have some articles on there about MOD. Um, and you can learn more about our team there as well. And then also just check out our Instagram, which is, uh, Instagram.com slash this is Um, would love to engage, talk, uh, learn, uh, and exchange ideas. I think that's what we're most interested in is like how can we exchange ideas with with other studio owners agencies and you know just people interested in what we're interested in well man huge kudos for um i think what's beautiful i was just gonna say is it's one thing to have these values i think that we all aspire to promote but to be finding and figuring out a way for that to also be foundation of a strong business to me is really beautiful like that's 
that's such a cool win-win. And I just, you know, I applaud you guys for figuring it out and making it happen. So I'm happy to um, take this message and send it out to the bigger, wider world. Thank you, Joel. And, and we're, we're just grateful, man. And just, we're lucky, you know, that, um, we had this idea and, you know, it's luck and hard work, but you know, it is both for sure. Um, that it, they kind of worked. And I think we sort of in this industry built kind of a blueprint for it. And we hope, like, we really want to see, um, others embrace this. And I know there's tons of studios out there who are genuinely trying to be more diverse. Um, and I applaud you. I think it's awesome. I know it's hard. I've been there. I've seen a lot of initiatives fizzle out, right? <laughs> that have happened in the past few years. And I would just say, you gotta, you just gotta keep going. You gotta double down. You gotta keep pushing. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, but you know, with time comes change and I'm very optimistic about where we're headed, uh, as a country, um, and kind of the globe in general. Mm-hmm.